Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through chapter 3, verse 6. Just a little bit of context of what's been going on at this section of Scripture. Chapter 1, Jesus has been introduced as to who he is. But then for really the remainder of the chapter, Jesus has a number of different encounters uh, with demons, interestingly enough. Uh, Where we turn in chapter 2 and into chapter 3, Jesus will have another series of encounters. Except in these particular encounters, he's bumping into people who, interestingly enough, are seeking the kingdom of God. Now, here's the great irony that Mark regularly paints throughout his gospel. The demons know who Jesus is, but these seekers of the kingdom of God don't. There's an interesting thing that goes with this. What they were looking for, these kingdom seekers, they weren't actually looking for the kingdom of God. They were looking for their own curated kingdom. They're just like us. We seek to take the glory of the kingdom and mold it and fashion it into something customizable for us. What Jesus is going to do, though, in this passage, he's going to invite us to come and to see a kingdom that we cannot tame that will not be broken, that will not be stopped, and is unimaginably beautiful and glorious. We're about to take up God's word, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. O glorious Father, we come before you now as those who seek to set up our own kingdoms for we fail to see the beauty of yours. And so now, O Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word and to see your kingdom, O God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, 
Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of it. So Jesus it is coming and interacting with the Pharisees who have a very preconceived notion that the kingdom of God looks like this. And time and time again, Jesus stands before them and says, that's not what the kingdom looks like. You want the kingdom to look like this, but you, my friends, cannot customize the kingdom of God to fit what you want and what you don't. The kingdom of God is far, far greater than what you could even possibly imagine. And he begins by showing us this by looking specifically at, at the, the characters within the kingdom itself. He does, does this in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, when, when he goes and he gets Levi. It's very strange that here, here Jesus is, he's walking along his way, and he stops at this at this tax collector's booth and says, you, follow me. And Levi does. Now, um, a little bit of background at this point. Tax collectors were, were well in the running for perhaps maybe uh, the, the most hated people in the world at their day and time. They were um, very high on the list of, of scum of the earth status. Everybody hated tax collectors. The, the Jews hated the tax collectors because they're really working against their own people, and they're taxing them. It's not a popular position even today, but especially not here. 
The Romans, though, who are actually employing the tax collectors, don't even like the tax collectors because they're like, well, while they're working for us, they actually are kind of, uh, they're rejecting their own people. They have no honor. They're just trying to get rich quick. The tax collectors are absolutely the most hated people, and kind of rightly so, uh, in all their society. And it's very interesting, too, as we've kind of fast forward down to, to verse 15, we look and see that as Jesus is reclining at this house, who's surrounding him? A bunch of tax collectors. The most hated people, despised people on the face of the planet are sitting around Jesus going, this kingdom is glorious. It's interesting, too, to think why tax collectors became tax collectors. The tax collectors become, they're, they're forsaking their friends and their family. Why? So they can get rich. And there's something that Jesus is able to do to come to this group and say, you're building the wrong kingdom. You're trying to build your own kingdom of wealth, but my dear brothers, let me show you a much greater kingdom. Now, it's interesting, too, to think about the reality that if they left their tax booth, they were done. You, you look to, to Peter uh, and, and the previous disciples that Jesus has called at this point, they were fishermen. If things go south, what do they do? They just go back and fish again. That's not an option for Levi. He is done. He can never go back to the life he had before. He gets up, he walks out and says, that old Levi is dead. Behold, the new has come. Jesus is calling not just these tax collectors, but all and saying, I offer you a much greater kingdom. I offer you a much greater identity, a much greater reality, one that you can't customize, but one that's greater than you could possibly imagine. But here it is. If you come into this kingdom, there's no going back. The German theologian and the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, gives a pretty amazing quote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says this, when Christ bids a man come, he bids him come and die. Levi gets that. I hope we do too. I hope we recognize the reality and the gravity of what Jesus is offering here. Those who are these Pharisees who are sitting here are saying, we want the kingdom to look like us. We want a kingdom full of people who think and operate and live in the same spheres as we do. We like that kingdom, a kingdom that looks like us. But Jesus says, my kingdom is a kingdom of all sorts of people. 
but my kingdom is also for those who are the despised as well. I think it's interesting, too, to, to look at Levi's situation. Jesus calls Levi to come and die, but in doing so, he's, he's having to forsake everything, yet it's the ones who have everything to lose that Jesus is going to and saying, come and see this kingdom. It's a kingdom worth dying for, in fact. But then the text moves on to, to talk about a different facet uh, of the kingdom itself. Uh, he moves into verses 18 through 22 to, to talk really about the, the kingdom celebration. And, and there's this interesting dialogue where, where Jesus kind of walks onto the scenes and, and John's disciples and the Pharisees, they, they fasted. That was kind of one of their things that they did. They, they kind of instituted regular fasting. Some of early accounts would say twice a week even. And there was a motive behind their fasting. Their motive behind fasting was thinking that the more we fast, the more faithful we'll be, and the more faithful we are, the better we'll cultivate the kingdom. Here's what we'll do. We'll work the kingdom out, and if we fast, we can irrigate the kingdom. We'll set up our little trenches and cut our ways and have our water going the various way, and we'll grow this kingdom. It'll be amazing. It'll be precisely how we want it. And isn't it great work that we're doing? We're doing such great work cultivating this kingdom. But Jesus responds to them and says, you've missed the point. That's not not how the kingdom works, actually. The the kingdom isn't the sort of kingdom that can be crafted and molded by you. It's something the king must bring. And dear brothers and sisters, if you see this kingdom for what it is, it's a celebration. It's this glorious situation, which is precisely what Jesus paints for us here. Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom, they can't fast. It it was interesting, in the Jewish um, culture around the first century, weddings were a pretty big deal. Uh, they would spend, um, you know, a, a fair amount of time in preparation, uh, and then they would have the wedding. And then the week after the wedding, there was uh, another week of celebration, where basically the the groom and the bride were were celebrated as kings. It, it was what many would describe as the greatest week of their life. It was a time of feasting, a time of joy, a, a time not to to. To, to like bear down on, but it was a time to rejoice. And Jesus is saying, it's time to rejoice. The kingdom has come because the king has come. And he's brought the kingdom with him. I worry sometimes that we're so prone at getting caught up at what we think the kingdom of God should look like, that we fail to see the glory of the kingdom that's sitting right in front of us. Jesus is inviting us into this kingdom to see it for what it is, to see the glory of what he's done and accomplished by his blood. He's not coming in and saying, you know, 
you have to irrigate the kingdom now. Fix it. Here you go. But he's inviting us to see the beauty of a bride that he has washed, that he has made clean, a bride that he's united himself to and said, in all of her dysfunction, in all of her messiness, she's perfect because she's mine, and I'll make her perfect. The kingdom is to be gloried in. The kingdom is to see the beauty of what Christ has brought, not to craft and to make our own, but to see the glory that is Christ's kingdom. But then, uh, as he kind of progresses further, he talks about the Sabbath itself. And here we have the Pharisees of, of coming together, and they're seeing what all is going on, and they, they come to Jesus, and they're like, you know, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath itself? What's going on? And that's their constant question here is, you can't do that on the Sabbath. The Sabbath must look like this. And it's interesting, they've taken this glorious consummate day of the Lord and made it this kind of pet principle. Here's what they've done. They've taken this day where the Lord... That the celebration, this recognition to look at what God has done in creation and redemption and new creation. And they've said, this is our pet principle. They've domesticated it. They've said, the Sabbath, this day that is the Lord's day, looking to the kingdom itself, a day of recognizing what God has done and what God is doing. It's been domesticated. They come to it and they say, the Sabbath is such a good boy. We, we feed it. We give it water. We take it out on walks. It's taught our family a, a lot about responsibility. It's, it's, you, you could say it's even you know, really brought us together, the Sabbath. It's, it's even in one sense really become a part of our family, the Sabbath has. Here Jesus comes to them and says, you've missed the point of the kingdom. You've missed the point of the Sabbath. This is not a pet to be had, but a day to recognize the beauty of the kingdom. He's calling us to come and to see the reality of truly otherworldly beauty in this kingdom. And this day that they gather together to celebrate this reality. The, the whole host, and this is what we're doing here now. So don't miss this reality. We come together now this day to celebrate this reality of the kingdom of God with the whole host of heaven who cry out and praise the risen lamb who was slain, who has made us this kingdom of priests to God to reign with his son. Dear brothers and sisters, this 
is the day that the Lord has made. This is the kingdom that God is crafting, and he's inviting us not to come and to place our mark on it, but to be kingdom dwellers in his kingdom. That we would leave our old lives and our old kingdoms and rejoice in the reality of his kingdom, that he is making us and transforming us into the glory and the image of his son. That's what he's called us to come and to do today. But we have a great issue. Our kingdoms are so compelling in our own minds and in our own hearts. The entire tide of our society is to build your kingdom here now. To express your individuality, to customize your kingdom, to make it precisely what you want it to be. But Jesus is offering us here a kingdom that is far, far greater than we could possibly ever hope or think. A kingdom of his son, of Christ. An eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken, that cannot be broken, that endures for forever. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. O Christ, our King, we come before you now earnestly looking to see the glory of your kingdom, O God. But Lord, we confess to you how compelling our own kingdoms and the kingdoms of our hearts are. We pray, O Father, Give us eyes to see this kingdom for what it is. Give us the strength and the courage to forsake our old kingdoms and to live in the kingdom of God. Lord, now as you invite your people to a kingdom feast, feed our souls, O oh God. May we see the risen king sitting on his throne May we fellowship with him now. May you bind us together as those who are part of this kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.